Dear Father, I just pray that you will be with us this morning again, that you will be with my lips, that you will be with the words that I say, that they won't be words from me, but that they will be heard as you speaking to them, that you will speak to each person in this room. Please help us understand your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. In 1900, somebody predicted, and they wrote an article about it in the Ladies' Home Journal, that the letters C, Q, and X would be no longer used by the year 2000. Now, I agree maybe the Q and the X is not used very much, and maybe we don't need it, but that definitely isn't the case. We definitely still use all of those letters today. In 1909, I have no idea how to pronounce this guy's name, but Jules Boyce, I guess, um, he predicted that everybody within the next century would be flying their own bicycles, that no one would live in a city, that the city would be only for business, but everybody would fly their bicycles out to their country homes where they would live. I mean, it's a little strange to us today. <laughs> On a little bit more serious note, um, many of you probably remember Harold Camping. How many of you remember Harold Camping? Not very many of you, but this was a man, he was a, a radio preacher who f several times predicted that Jesus was going to be coming back on specific dates, the last of which was in 2011 when he was predicting that Jesus would come back soon. All of these prophecies, and this is just three there's so many. If you look through, if you look online, if you look through different prophecies that, that people gave, I think of Nostradamus, for example, just these people that, that give prophecies that many, if not most, of them don't actually happen. In fact, almost everybody who claims to be a prophet eventually, usually, turns out to be a false one. What we're going to be looking into this morning is, does God still speak through prophets today? Can we trust the voice of prophecy? And can we know, how can we know for sure whether or not someone is a genuine prophet? That, that would be a, an important thing to realize, to, to figure out, right? To know whether a prophet is genuine if he claims to be so. And we're all familiar with the prophets in the Old Testament. All throughout the Bible, there's prophet after prophet after prophet. God, I don't think any of us would, would or most of us, would question the fact that God spoke through, his, through, spoke through prophets in the Old Testament. We think of the, the great prophets, Elijah, Elisha, um, Samuel. The list could go on. In fact, there's, there's sections in the Bible that we call the major prophets. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, etc. And, and the minor prophets, Hosea, Joel, all the little books in the back of the Old Testament, we call them the prophets. We know that God spoke through prophets back then. When you speak of a prophet, when you think of a prophet, what is the role, what, what is their job that you first think of? that they'll be able to tell the future, right? That's the first thing you'd think of, probably. That's what I would think of. And, for example, Noah. The, Noah predicted 120 years before the flood 
and preached for that time, for that 120 years, that there would be a flood that would come on the earth that would destroy, completely wipe out the earth, the wicked people on the earth. And he was preaching that there was a way of escape for those who believed in God, that there would be the ark to get them through that flood. In fact, we read in Amos 3, verse 7, the Bible says, Surely the Lord God does how much? Nothing unless he reveals his secret to his servants, the prophets. When God is doing something great, or when he is about to do something great, we'll, we'll look at this in, in detail throughout the, through later on in the sermon, but when God is doing something great, he's not going to keep it secret. He loves his people too much to allow them to be surprised, to allow them to be caught off guard by a great event that he has or that is about to happen. Another thing that, that prophets will, uh, another job or a role that prophets frequently had in the Bible is to teach people about God, to teach them about how, how to have a better experience, how to have a better understanding of God's will for their life. You think of Elisha in the schools of the prophets. That's just one example where Elisha was teaching these, these prophets, these, these young people, to be people who could share the truth about God with the other Israelites, with the other people around them. Another job, besides being able to predict, prophet, able to predict things in the future, besides teaching people to help gain a better understanding of God, they also reproved people of sin. You can think of probably multiple examples throughout the Bible of this. For the, the, the one that came to mind to me was when David sinned with Bathsheba and tried to cover up that whole thing and ended up killing her husband and a whole bunch of stuff happened that, that David did to try to cover all that up. The prophet Nathan came before David and said, you did wrong. He reproved him for the sin that he had done. He provided counsel on what he needed to do and told him what the consequences would be for the sin that he had done. So the prophet is also one who reproves people of sin, who gives counsel, who provides direction for life. So we see it in the Old Testament all the way through. I don't think any of us would have a question that we see prophets in the Old Testament. But do we see it in the New Testament? We are going to find that the gift of prophecy is an important tool that God used, not only in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament and beyond as well. When Jesus returned to heaven, what did he promise his disciples that he would give them? The Holy Spirit. He promised that he would give them the, the gift of the Holy Spirit. And we see the disciples in the upper room after Jesus had ascended to heaven, praying, coming together in unity, seeking God, waiting for the gift of the Holy Spirit to come. We see after that period of, I believe it was 10 days after they had waited for and prayed for this gift, that God poured out the Holy Spirit to them. You can read about that in Acts chapter 2. <coughs> but we're going to see, uh, if, if, you turn, uh, if you look on the screen or turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7 and 8, the Bible says, But to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Verse 8, therefore he, Jesus Christ, says, 
when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. What did he give to men? He gave gifts to men. Along with Ephesians chapter 4, and you're, I would encourage you to study these, these other chapters as well. Ephesians chapter 4 covers these gifts that God gave. There's also the, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and Romans chapter 12 as well. If you want to write that down to, to look up later. It goes into detail on, on other gifts, that, including the ones that we're going to be covering this morning, that Jesus gave when he ascended to, to heaven with the gift of the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7 refers to these gifts as the manifestations of the Spirit, the way that the Spirit manifested himself after God gave the Spirit, after Jesus gave the Spirit to his, feet, to his followers. But what were these gifts, and what were they used for? Let's continue, skip down to verse 11, Ephesians 4, verse 11. Paul continues to say, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ." So what were these gifts? These are just a few of them here. He gave the gift of, to, to become an apostle. He gave the gift of prophecy to become a prophet. He gave the gift of evangelism to be an evangelist. He gave the gift of pastoral ministry and teaching ministry to be pastors and teachers. These were some of the gifts that God gave, that Jesus gave, and God gave to his people when Jesus ascended to heaven. They were specifically for helping God's people in the work of ministry, for, for uniting and edifying, edifying or unifying the body of Christ. Till we come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. And this part here is kind of the key part of this whole passage. The reason that he gives us these gifts is to bring us to a, the perfect man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. If you look in, in Romans chapter 12, it talks about, Paul gives an illustration of a body, how a body has many different parts. There's the arm, there's the leg, there's the head, and many different parts of the body, but every single part is essential to operate as a perfect person. In the same way it is with the church, that every single part of God's church operates together. They are equal, each of these gifts is equal in importance, but they're unique and essential as well to operate as a perfect body of Christ. We don't have any problem with the gift of apostleship or evangelists or pastors or teachers, but somehow when the word prophet gets mentioned, most of us in this room would get kind of squeamish. Prophet? No. God, God, God can't. God, God doesn't speak through, through prophets anymore. I and mean, all we see is false prophets. Like that, that, that can't be the case. But this is one of multiple gifts that God gave to the church to create the perfect body of Christ. The gift of prophecy to prophets was an, as equal and it was a unique but essential part of creating the perfect body of Christ. 
So we can see that, and you can go back and study 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12, and you'll see the same thing again in, in different, different language. But you can see that, that the New Testament had the gift of prophecy. Amen? This, was, this is clear from that Jesus gave the gift of being a, giving a prophet, the gift of prophecy, to the New Testament church. But did it stop there? If you go to Joel 2, verses 28 and 29, the Bible reads, And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my, spirits and my spirit in those days. Now this passage had a partial fulfillment on the day of Pentecost. In fact, Peter quoted this, this passage to, to show that the Holy Spirit, that these people weren't crazy, that it was actually the Holy Spirit that was working through them. But there's another interpret not another interpretation there's another fulfillment a deeper fulfillment of this prophecy that we will see if we continue reading in verse 30 and 31 and i will show wonders in the heaven and in the earth blood and fire and pillars of smoke the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the lord what, is, what do we commonly know the, the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord as? The second coming. It's when Jesus comes to call his people home and to, to, to give judgment to those who have chosen not to believe in him. That's the great and awesome day of the Lord. We see that if you look at the, the beginning of that passage, that he will pour out his spirit, your sons and daughters will prophesy, and this is coming before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Coming sometime in the end of time before Jesus comes back. Let's go to uh, Revelation chapter 12. If you can pull out your Bibles, we're going to be going through uh, a story, a prophecy in the Bible. In Revelation chapter 12. <clears throat> Revelation 12, and we're going to be starting in verse 1. <coughs> the Bible says, Now a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of twelve stars. Then being with child, she, the woman, cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. In Bible prophecy, what does a woman represent? The church. The, the woman represents the church. We see here a woman, a church, who is pregnant, who is about to give birth. It's a little strange imagery here, but, but keep, keep following, keep going. Verse 3, And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his heads. His tail drew a third of the stars out of heaven and threw them to the earth. Getting a little bit more strange here, but what is this dragon? Who is this dragon? Satan. 
If you go down to verse 9 in the same chapter, it says, So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world. So we hear, see here that a dragon, which is Satan. Continue on in verse 4. And the dragon, Satan, stood before the woman, this church, this people of God, who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. That's some pretty gruesome imagery. Let's continue. Verse 5. She bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up to God and his throne. Who do we see in the Bible as a male child who ruling with a rod of iron? We see it in Isaiah. Who is this referring to? It's referring to Jesus. It's giving an imagery of Jesus, a child who was, about, who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron and who was caught up to God and to his throne. Who was caught up, or when was Jesus caught up to God and to his throne? Thank you. When was Jesus caught up to God and to his throne? It was at the ascension when Jesus returned back to heaven. If you continue, if you continue reading there, um, just a second. The Bible continues here in verse 6. Then the woman fled into the wilderness. Who is the woman again? The church. This church fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God that, he should, that they should feed her there 1,260 days. We see a church, a woman, who is ready to give birth to Jesus. This is about the time, the, the time period when Jesus was coming on earth. When the church that was truly a Christian church following after Christ was about to be born, when Jesus was about to be born. We see Jesus ascended to heaven, uh, caught up to God in his throne, and then we see this, this woman, this church, fleeing into the wilderness to be kept safe by God for 1260 days. In Bible prophecy, and again, if, if, if any of you have questions on this, I know I'm moving kind of quickly, but on some of these, some of these things, feel free to ask me afterwards. I'll be glad to expound them. We just don't have time to go through all the, all the details right now. But in Bible prophecy, what is a day usually represent? A year. It's a, it's a general principle throughout the Bible that a day, throughout Bible prophecy, that a day is equal to a year. So this 1,260 days is actually... 1260 years. This period, if you continue going down into, we're not going to read them, but if you look at verses 13 to 16, you're welcome to look at those. It describes a period of terrible persecution that the devil is pouring forth on this woman, upon this church, where this, this church is in the wilderness, where this church is, is, has fled to be protected by God from this time of persecution. This 1,260-year period, you'll, you'll find frequently throughout the Bible, in fact. Um, it's again in, in Revelation 12, 14, I believe. But you also see it in Revelation chapter 11. You'll see it in Daniel chapter 7. You'll see it in Daniel chapter 12. Again and again, this time period 
is mentioned in the Bible. This period was the Dark Ages. It was a time of extreme persecution between the years of, of 538 A.D. to 1798 A.D. This time was a time when millions of people who uphold, upheld the Bible, who believed in Jesus, were persecuted and were tortured and killed during that time. You look in history, that's, that's a historical fact. There were millions of Christians who were killed and persecuted during that time. Let's skip down to, to Revelation 12, verse 17. And we'll have it on the screen as well for this one. The Bible says, And the dragon was enraged with the woman, and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus. So we see this church who's being kept safe in a desolate place, in a wilderness, who's being kept safe by God, protected by God, and we see Satan who is enraged with this woman because he can't destroy her. He tries to wipe her off the face of the earth, but he cannot destroy her. It talks about it being wiped off as a flood, but it doesn't work. He can't destroy her. He can't destroy this, this people of God. <coughs> and so he goes to make war with the rest of her offspring. So we see someone who, after 1798, after this period of the Dark Ages, we see this people of, of the, the offspring of this church of God, of this people of God, who Satan is enraged with. What are the characteristics of this church? There are two things. They keep the commandments of God, and they have the testimony of Jesus. Now, most of us in this room don't have any question about what the commandments of God are. The Ten Commandments of God, we, we see that in the Bible. We see it throughout the Bible. Um, the Ten Commandments that God gave from Mount Sinai, God's commands. But what is this testimony of Jesus? It's, it's a little bit more obscure, but actually it's not. If you continue reading, just a few chapters later, go down to Revelation 19 and verse 10. Revelation 19 and verse 10 says, And I fell at his feet to worship him. You see, John was being shown these amazing things by his angel, by this angel. He's being shown these things, sometimes crazy, sometimes amazing, sometimes awful, sometimes just plain awesome things. And this was after one of those times that, that John was shown something and he fell down to worship the angel. But the angel said to him, See that you do not do that. I am your fellow servant and of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. So if we can figure out who these brethren are that have the testimony of Jesus, do you think we can figure out what the testimony of Jesus is? If you keep reading, Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. If you go a couple chapters later, Revelation 22, it has the same exact scenario where John again tries to worship the angel, and the angel says the exact same thing, but he says this time, he says, I am your fellow, this, I'm your fellow servant, and of your brethren, the prophets. The very parallel, it's, it's very reasonable to conclude that those passages are parallel. So we have here, John's brethren, with the testimony of Jesus, are actually the prophets who have the gift of prophecy. Is that clear to everyone? That makes sense? Kind of move quickly through it, but 
from, from this passage, the, the, the brethren who have the testimony of Jesus is the, are the prophets who have the gift of prophecy. At the end of uh, Revelation 19, verse 10, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So until the end of time, we see this church after the dark ages who has a specific target on their back by Satan who is keeping the commandments of God and has a testimony of Jesus or the spirit of prophecy. They have the gift of prophecy in, in their midst. Remember the first that we looked at at the beginning. Amos 3 verse 7. Surely the Lord God does nothing unless he reveals it unless he reveals his ser- secret to his servants the prophets as i said earlier every before every great event that has happened that's recorded in god's word there was a a prophet someone that god gave a message to to prepare them for that great event remember noah when the great flood was about to come to completely obliterate the earth, to destroy all the wickedness on the earth, who did he send? He sent Noah. He gave him a message to warn, to prepare his people, to prepare the people on the earth for that time, to warn them of that time. You see, in the destruction of Jerusalem, before in eighty seventy, when the when the Jerusalem was completely destroyed, when the Israelite nation was completely wiped wiped off, it seemed. We see prophet after prophet after prophet through the Old Testament again and again and again. God sends, God gives messages to these people, Ezekiel, Jeremiah. We see many different prophets that that God gives messages to to warn the people of Israel that there is something about to come to get ready for that event. Again, when Jesus came the first time, who was there to prepare the way for Jesus' is coming. John the Baptist. God, sent, God gave a message to John the Baptist to get the people to be prepared for the coming of Jesus. I could keep going with different examples, but, but from just these few, it, is, it would only make sense for a God who loves his people enough to prepare them, to give them warning of something that's about to come so that they'll be ready. It would only make sense if before the second coming that something would happen that or somebody would receive a message from God to repair his people for that second coming. If God would do that, and we'll be looking into it a little bit more um, right at the end, but if God would do that, how, do we, how would we know if this prophet was from God? We've all heard of prophets who have given false prophecies. In fact, the majority, if not, if the not most, of our prophets that we have seen or pro- people that have claimed to be prophets or people that have seemed to have the gift of prophecy turned out to be false prophets at some point. Well, there's five tests that I'm going to show from the Scriptures and I would encourage you to, to write these down. We're not going to read all of the verses but there is five tests from Scripture that if we follow these tests, if we put everything from someone who has or appears to have the gift of prophecy through these tests, that we can know that they are from God. 
we know that there's going to be counterfeits. In fact, we see in, in the Matthew chapter 24, when Jesus predicted that there was going to be false prophets, that many false prophets and false Christs would come. So we need to know, it is very important, it's crucial to know who these false prophets are, who are the true prophets, so that we don't get misled. The first test of a prophet is that the predictions must come to pass. If a prophet says that something's going to happen in the future for him to be a true prophet, they have to happen. Does that make sense? That's just a, a, logical, a logical conclusion. If it doesn't happen, then they're a false prophet. This is in Jeremiah 28, verse 9. talks about that. The second one. This prophet will never speak contrary to God's word. Even though it's whatever they say, even if their prophecies come to pass, if they say something that is contrary to the word of God, they are not a real prophet. They are not a genuine prophet. Deuteronomy 13, 1 to 3 talks about that. Number three, a genuine prophet will always speak in harmony with the law of God. The Isaiah 8, verse 20, to the law and to the testimony, if they do not speak according to this word, it is, they have no light in them. Number four, the prophet's life will reveal the character of Christ. If you look at their personal life, look at who they are as an individual, you will see that they are reflecting Christ's character. That they are striving to become like Christ. And the last one, that Jesus must be at the center of the message of the prophet. If Jesus is, is being pushed down or being ignored, then there's not a true prophet. It talks about that in 1 John 4, 1 to 3. We see in, we looked at this in, in, a, previous, in a previous seminar, uh, we looked at Daniel 8, 14. It says, 2300, unto 2300 days, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. We saw that this, that this prophecy, and again, if you weren't there to, to hear that, or if you're not familiar with this, feel free to, to ask, ask me or one of us to, to explain that to you. We'll be, we'll be happy to do so. But this prophecy, it was a 2300-year prophecy that ended in, on October 22, 1844. This was... This is the last time prophecy to be fulfilled in the Bible. This was a time when Jesus moved into the most holy place. This was the beginning of the time that was represented by the Day of Atonement in the, the sanctuary service in the Old Testament. The closing time of earth was starting to wrap up at that point. We see that, that the that people were, that Jesus was needing to prepare people for the second coming. That the only, the very next, the only prophecies that are left to be fulfilled in this book, in the Word of God, are prophecies surrounding and immediately around the second coming of Christ. I believe that God did give someone the gift of prophecy during that, in, in the mid-1800s, to warn, to counsel, to prepare his people for that second coming. This person was Ellen Harmon. 
She became Ellen White after she got married, which is how we know her now. But I believe this woman was blessed with the gift of prophecy. This was right around the time of the mid-1800s, during this time when this last time prophecy was coming to a close, that this, that this woman became, Ellen White, became to, to be able to, to share, to receive these, these visions, to be able to share God's word, to be able to point people back to the word of God. We see, remember in Joel 2, where God predicted that in the last days, that there would be people that God would send his spirit and people would prophesy. His sons and daughters would prophesy. What God showed her provided that counsel and encouragement to a struggling group of people who were striving to keep all of God's commandments, especially the fourth commandment, to keep the seventh-day Sabbath holy. So this was a group that had the commandments, they kept the commandments of God, and now had someone who was being given the gift of prophecy by God. If you look through her writings, and I'm coming to a close soon, as you look through her writings, a common theme throughout everything that she writes is pointing to Jesus, pointing to the Word of God. You see that, that everything that she predicts that has come, has come to pass. You see that, that she never speaks contrary, against, contrary to the word of God, but lifts up the word of God. You see that she speaks in harmony and uplifts God's law. You see that to, to those, if you study her life, if you, if you talk or read about people that were her, in, in her time, her family, the people that she worked with, you will see that her life reflected the character of Christ. She was an amazing woman, a woman of God. And Jesus was at the center of her message. I'm going to read a couple things from her books to show this. You see, other people have claimed to be prophets. But at some point, they begin, may not start at first, but at some point, most if not all of them, begin to put their teachings up here slightly if not way above the teaching of God's word. If they feel that the, that, the, that the gift of prophecy that they feel they have says something different from the word of God, they will start to believe that. But this was not the case with Ellen White, ever. She said this, and this is a theme throughout her writings, the Lord has sent his people much instruction. Talking about the Bible. Line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little and there a little. Little heed is given to the Bible, and the Lord has given a lesser light to lead men and women to the greater light. She was speaking of her books, of her writings, as being the lesser light that their sole purpose was to lead people to the greater light, to the Word of God, because we have been ignoring and giving little heed to that Word of God. Again, she said, um, in another book, she said, I recommend to you, dear reader, the word of God as your rule of faith and practice. By that word, we are to be judged. God has in that word promised to give visions in the last days, not, this is important, not for a new rule of faith, but for the comfort of his people and to correct those who err from Bible truth. That's from the book Early Writings, page 78. She saw her writings, she saw them herself 
as, as writings that would point people to correct those who err from the Bible, to point them back to the Bible, to turn them around. To correct is to turn a 180-degree a turn, to correct them from their errors and point them back to the Word of God. That is the purpose as she saw that her writings existed. I'm not asking you to accept my word for it. Some of you may not have heard of, of Ellen White before, and that's okay. Some of you may, have, may be familiar with her, but you, you're not sure for sure if she's a prophet of God. That's okay. I'm not asking you to accept. I don't want you to accept my word for it. All I'm asking you to do is to check it out for yourself. Run through these tests of a prophet. Continue studying the Bible and going through these tests. And if she continues to pass each one of these tests, then she is from God. A couple of books um, that, that I would recommend if you're not familiar with her, if you haven't read any of her books, I would recommend reading The Desire of Ages. It's a beautiful book on the life of Christ. It'll help you understand and come to a relationship with him that you've never had before. Similarly with Steps to Christ, it's a, a little book that's had a really big impact on my life, and it's won thousands of people to Christ. And another book, The Great Controversy, it tells a story of how God has kept his word and his people safe through all the way from the beginning of time all the way through the end, through the second coming. That's also a very amazing book. And if, if you... If you, don't, if you don't have any of these books and if you would like to, to check them out, ask me or, or one of us here that we'll be able to help you find and get you one of those. As I close, as I said, I am not trying to say you need to believe what I am saying, that there is a prophet that you need to believe and that's that. We've seen through the Bible, through the Old Testament, that God has spoken to his people through prophets, through the gift of prophecy. We see through the New Testament that God has spoken and has given the gift of prophecy to the New Testament church, to God's people, after he ascended to heaven. And we've seen in Revelation chapter 12 and also in Joel chapter 2 that before the coming of the second coming that God would still be speaking to his people through a gift of prophecy to prepare his people for the great event that was coming. So what I'm going to challenge you today, I want to challenge each one of you in this room, whether you're, whether you're familiar with her writings, whether you're familiar with a, a gift of prophecy or, or not. As 1 John 4 verse 1 said, and that's the, the, last, the last of one of the, the tests of a prophet, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. We know that there will be false prophets. Jesus said that there will be false prophets before his second coming. But I want to challenge you, test them. Don't just believe them just because it sounds right or just because it feels right. Test the prophets to see whether they are from God. Secondly, if you see that God is speaking through someone in the gift of prophecy— according to the Bible tests of a prophet, then please don't turn your back on it. 
If God is speaking through someone in the gift of prophecy, please don't turn your back on it. He is trying to give you light, to give you this lesser light, to, to correct your ways, to point you back to God's word. And finally, as the book of Acts says, it talks about the Bereans. Acts 17, verse 11. The Bereans were people that I want to challenge each and every one of you to be like from this point forward. They received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so.